This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's episode 100 of the Equalizer podcast and not exactly the way we were hoping or expecting to celebrate 100 editions of the podcast, which started a little bit more than two years ago. But here we are nonetheless. I'm Dan Lawletta. I've got John Halloran with me a little bit later. Kelsey Trainer will come in as we have had a wild week in women's soccer that saw the She Believes Cup end. Uh, court filings be made public that did not shine a very good light on Carlos Cordero, who has since stepped down as the president of U.S. soccer. But obviously, everyone is talking about the impact of the coronavirus. If you're into soccer, then you're talking about its impact on soccer. But this is something that has literally had an impact on every single American. Now, there are, this is not going to be uh, the coronavirus podcast, but the latest that we have as of the recording time, and keep in mind we are operating in a world where information is changing, sometimes literally by the minute, but the latest is that NWSL preseason is done. There won't be any preseason games, at least in terms of the ones that were scheduled out ahead of what the league still hopes is an April 18th opening day. Training has been canceled through March 22nd. And just a little while before we came on, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, has recommended a nationwide ban of all gatherings, 50 people or greater, for the next eight weeks. So that does not bode well for the start of the NWSL season on April 18th. Uh, let me bring in John. John, how are you doing uh, in your neck of the woods? Uh, you know, I've been in my house for, for a couple of days now, but uh, as a as a very happy introvert it hasn't been so bad so bad yet well that's good to hear hope everyone in your world is uh healthy and, and doing well um I, you know let me just ask you this to start um because we, we chatted a little like an hour ago and you said what are we talking about and i mentioned some stuff and she believes cup and you said wow she believes cup was this week and it really has been that kind of week uh, just because of how fast news has moved and now we're in a fast moving era of news but really things changed almost by the hour especially that wednesday night um so where are you right now with you know with with women's soccer what stands out to you right now you know i i think that the most difficult part is is just what you're talking about like i feel like my head's spinning and we had the she believes cup which is always kind of a marquee event because of the quality of the opposition and when we're watching the U.S., we don't get to see them play quality teams all the time. So I think there was a lot of emotional excitement heading into those games about what we were going to get to see and the evaluations and analysis we were going to get to come out of that. But then with the legal filings, the sponsors, the player protest, everything turned very quickly 
into being focused more off the field. And then that gets followed by the resignation. And then that gets followed by, you know, the, the rapid uh, suspension of the league preseason. So I think I just still haven't caught up mentally at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I think real quick in terms of on the field, I thought this was far and away the best she believes cup we have seen because I thought, you know, I like the different opponents that give the U.S. different things to think about. And I really liked what Spain did. And I really like what Japan did, even though the U.S. won both those games. I think it's a shame that there's not more attention focused on that because I really, really enjoyed the games this time around that I don't always. Yeah, you know, and, and we talked a little bit about this, too, before, but, you know, being able to see how Spain approached the U.S. in the World Cup versus how they approached that game last week, it was like night and day. Um, you know, in, in, I think it was Ronce when they played them, the, in the round of 16, they played that very deep line. They sat back, they invited pressure, but at the same time played very physical and broke up the U S attacks and didn't allow them to get a rhythm going. But what we saw in this most recent game was them holding the ball, playing almost a, a ticky tacka style and really out possessing and making it really hard for the U.S. to get a hold of the ball and do anything creative until very late in that game. And then I thought Japan did the same for good portions of that yeah. game as well. And, you know, I thought that was – I don't think Japan is there yet, but that was a glimpse into what Japan has been and what they're trying to reestablish. And if they can really lock into what they did, then I think they're not far from being back to where they were when they were in those three straight – global finals spain just has to score that's the issue with spain they, they can do all the damage they want in possession they, ne they never score yeah they just had the bar though people seem to have kind of yeah completely, they did completely they did. forgot that it was such a wild sequence they came down and i can't remember who got somebody got in inside of abby Dolkemper and put a header off the post and then what 10 seconds later uh, Lynn Williams played Carly Lloyd into the box and, and Lloyd took a bad touch and didn't create anything, but it was a pretty wild sequence there yeah. back and forth it, between the pretty two. Sure, pretty sure it was Hermoso that hit the post and, and Ertz kind of triggered that, that counter that led to what you're talking about with Williams and Lloyd. And I also thought they should have had a penalty, right? Didn't that ball look like it hit Sonnet's hand? That Well, we kind of talked about that offline and I even pulled the clip and I, I couldn't tell from the angle. I think you were there, though, right, at that game? It, I was there. It looked like it when it happened, but there wasn't a lot of complaining from Spain. And then I think by the time the game ended and the Spanish coach never came out to talk to anybody post game. So, you know, he didn't really have an opportunity to complain about it. I think it happened early enough in the game that, you sure. know. We yeah, people maybe forget about stuff. forgot about it, which is not, yeah. that doesn't shine very good light on those of us covering the game. Um, <laughs> uh, but let's get to the Cordero stuff, because sure. um, I guess it was late, was it Monday or Tuesday night, that the filings came out. Um, and really what got everybody, you know, up in arms was that Carlos Cordero, the president of U.S. soccer, basically came right out and said, Women are not as good as the men. And even beyond that, that the women don't play with as high a level of responsibility as the men and that it is just more taxing to be a male soccer player than it is a female soccer player. And finally, finally, it all hit the fan on U.S. soccer to some extent because sponsors started to get involved. And then when sponsors get involved, that means money. 
And although it doesn't, I don't believe any sponsor pulled out, but they did enough that Cordero resigned. And now all of a sudden, Sid, Cindy Parlo Cohn is the president of U.S. Soccer. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I actually believe that there are some arguments to be made. Uh, and again, we're going to have Kelsey on in a little bit to, to clean this all up for us legally. But, you know, I don't think it's straightforward. Everything needs to be exactly the same. But to suggest that the women are not on the same like mental level as the men, that is that's pretty appalling stuff. Yeah, it was. And it was it, it was frustrating because I think for anybody who does what we do in covering women's sports and we probably suffer a much lower level of it than I think women who do the same job that we do. But we inevitably see in our replies, uh, you know, th this exact same type of argument from Internet trolls and to see the Federation making the same argument in a, in a legal filing was pretty disappointing. Um, I do wonder, because you had said Cordero said those, and we should probably should be clear that that was the the filing that said that. Um, although okay, he obviously, he's, he's, he's ultimately responsible. Um, and he took responsibility, although I wonder, I wonder how much of this he had actually even read or, or gone through. And that doesn't diminish the responsibility, but man, I have a hard time believing anybody in charge saw that and thought, okay, let's go with that. And if they did, shame on them, because they were really some pretty disgusting arguments. And that's kind of what Julie Foudy was saying, both at halftime and then again at the end of that Wednesday night game when the apology letter came out in like the 90th minute and they read it live mm -hmm. on air. And Foudy was like, how can you read this and say this is going to be my my legal defense? Like, who's, who's going to be the adult in the right. room? You know, and, and let's be honest, if you put the men's national team and the women's national team on the field at the same time. Men's national team is going to win 100 out of 100, right? Right. But let's think about this. The, what the women do is a skill, and they do it at a very high level. Now, we all have skills, right? We all have skills that don't matter at all. You know, if you tell me what day you were born, I can tell you what day of the week it was within about a minute or two. That's great skill. Not that many people can do it. But you know what? It's good for about five minutes at a party. Guess what? what <laughs> seriously, what the women do on the soccer field draws people to watch them on television and it fills stadiums all over the world. So obviously that matters. Who cares if they train against the U15 boys? And good for them for using that as, you know, as a training tool that, that men honestly don't have. Well, I think the thing that really illustrated the, the larger point there was the fact that the goals that the U.S. scored against Japan were such incredible quality. Megan yes. Rapinoe's uh, set piece and then Kristen Press chipping the keeper the way she did, yep. I think really demonstrated that that skill level is there. And the, the quality of those goals versus the legal argument that U.S. soccer was making, I thought represented a pretty big juxtaposition. Absolutely. You know, it's funny on that press goal, too, because that was a really bad giveaway by the keeper to Rapino. Mm-hmm. And Rapino gave it to Press, and I'm like, "What are you doing? You got to take that shot!" <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Press just loops it in, and the keeper's like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" Yeah. On that, and but that, and the set piece by Rapino, I mean, that's as good a set piece as you're going to see from anybody. Yeah, it was. You know, re regardless of gender, um, I was going to go somewhere else with this, and um, lost my train of thought. So, uh, say something else. Say something exciting. <laughs> well, I think for me. Because I was, listen, I was a fan of U.S. soccer before I, I wrote about soccer at, in any right. capacity. And I didn't miss 
a single men's national team game or a single women's national team game. If it was on TV, if there was a choppy, crappy stream, I found it. And I can tell you that I have not watched a men's national team game since they quali- since they failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Um, that was difficult for, for somebody who grew up originally as a fan to watch them make such a debacle out of that. And I just... I I, I pontificated about this a little bit on Twitter, but I just think, and I don't think there's a lot of crossover. I don't think there's a lot of fans who watch both, but just the, the utter damage that the Federation has done to, or with its fan base, both the men's and the women's in a two year period um, is really remarkable. I mean, it's, it's almost inconceivable that you could have so totally alienated both fan bases as thoroughly as they have managed to do over the past couple of years. And isn't it partly on U.S. soccer that there isn't more crossover because there should just be the general soccer fans that like to wear the red, white, and blue that are going to watch regardless of what U.S. team plays? You know, I don't I don't know whose responsibility that is. I just know that it doesn't it just there just aren't too many people who get into both sides. And then how about the T-shirts that come out? And we've got a story on the site about that uh, company called Breaking Tea. Yeah, Uh, pretty remarkable because the players decided they were going to wear their shirts inside out for warm ups on Wednesday night. And so that they wouldn't have the crest, but you could still see the four stars and boom, out comes a T-shirt. And I forget who said this. Online, it might have been Charlie Bohm that companies spend how much money on marketing departments to develop stuff, and these guys created a T-shirt in like a half an hour and set company records. You could see too how quickly the fans mobilized, which was yep. unbelievable. Because all of a sudden, I started noticing in my in my mentions these logos of or whatever you'd call it, the avatars. They were all the same, and I'm like, what What's happening? I I think it took me a <laughs> yeah. second to kind of figure out what was going on. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, they've created this to mimic the protest. And then, yeah, as you talked about the the t-shirt, but I also think that ties into, because if we go back to the legal argument for a second, I a hundred percent agree that the argument that we saw come out this week was disgusting, but there is still a revenue argument that can be made, especially with the FIFA bonuses. But even that, one of the things that nobody talks about is the lack of marketing on behalf of U.S. soccer or even the lack of gear that we have consistently seen, whether that's at FIFA events in France, how you could not find gear, how you couldn't even find private vendors doing anything, how in the stadiums there was one kiosk set up that was always sold out before kickoff. What we saw with Nike again after the 2019 World Cup, after it had happened in 2015, the lack of jerseys available with the four stars. It is clear as day that whether it is FIFA or U.S. soccer or Nike, that they are not putting the resources into marketing and taking advantage of the opportunities that are available to raise revenue off of this team as well as they could. So even that argument, the revenue argument in the legal filing is not going to accurately reflect the interest that the fan base has in the team. Sounds like a good place to leave it. We'll be back momentarily and joined by Kelsey trainer. She'll turn everything that John and I talked about into some straight legal talk. This is episode 100 of the equalizer podcast. 
Equalizer podcast, episode 100, segment two, with a reminder that if you're not familiar with us, check us out on the web at equalizersoccer.com and for premium content, equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe. Full disclosure, not a lot of soccer news likely to be generated in the next couple of weeks, so uh, bear with us as we wade through this with everybody else, but it's equalizersoccer.com and equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe and if you wouldn't mind please rate and review the equalizer podcast today dan with john and let's bring in kelsey trainer and kelsey just um give us a sense the lawyer in you when you saw the stuff starting to come out uh, early in the week with the legal filings uh, you know how does this stuff affect things when the trial actually starts or, you know, whether they negotiate because of it or whatnot, because it's easy to say, yeah, that's disgusting, but sometimes disgusting, I guess, can be a, a, you know, a solid legal argument. Right. So I think the first thing, you know, when this came out, uh, read through it and, you know, U.S. soccer makes an art, their first argument, they talk about uh, the union and the collective bargaining. And so you kind of read through that and it makes sense, right? There's a valid argument there that, you know, that these collective bargaining agreements were negotiated for, and if there's an issue with it, then, you know, essentially blame the unions. Um, and then as soon as we get into the part where U.S. soccer starts arguing that women are inferior, right, innately, based off of things that they may be born with uh, as opposed to men, so arguing about you know, not being equal in speed and strength, and that that is something that is fundamental to the job. Um, I think legally, it's it's absolutely horrible, and I think it's obviously something that has been there. It was obviously in the actual motion, motion for summary judgment. We have to remember that these were the responses uh, to the motions for summary judgment. Um, so it's been there, but I think that they doubled down on it in a way that was so obvious um, and glaringly so, um, that legally they're, they're just not good arguments. Um, you know, you're taught kind of in, in the law, right. That for equal pay purposes, the only real difference that you can put into not paying men and women, um, uh, equally has to do with like women being able to give birth and men not anything else is just not a thing, especially when you're talking about physical differences. Um, and so I think everything that's happened since then uh, the argument is bad legally, and I think that uh, it gives the players uh, an, an incredible amount of leverage um, to negotiate going forward. The Cordero resignation, do you feel that was more from a business perspective, or was that to save face for the case as well? You know, obviously the sponsors coming in and, um, you know, I, I believe that obviously had a, a bit of pressure and, and to deal with the decision. But at the end of the day, I was actually surprised in his letter when he he said that he did not read fully through the briefings. Um, you know, there's some negligence there, right? When you're signing off on something, when you're in charge of that and you're not reading through something that has, you know, your organization stamp on it as the head of that organization, um, you know, I think that whether or not he's the scapegoat or, or not, um, it's a big problem that, you know, people weren't reading it. And if they did, that they, you know, they read it and let something like that go out into into the world. John, you have anything? Actually, can I ask some questions? 
yeah, yeah go I'm ahead. interested to get Kelsey's opinion here. Um, so when we talk about the physical difference argument, how does that not in a legal sense innately, or, or I'm sorry, how does that innate difference not prove that there's a gender discrimination or does it? It does. I mean, that's why, right? So if you want to make that argument and you want to say it in a way that is subtle, um, I think that you are able to do it legally um, and it not get thrown out. But when you put what they have put out there, essentially saying that speed and strength, right, are something that men have and women don't, or, or not to the extent that, that the men do. Um, you are literally saying that things that are innately uh, man versus women um, require men to be paid more. And that is actually the definition of discrimination based on gender. Okay. Um, and so that's what the Equal Pay Act, um, you know, in Title VII are for, is to prevent that. What about the revenue argument? Does that, how does that sort out, you know, legally? Because one of the things that's frustrating for me as somebody who has really dug into the financial disclosures and even sat with a with well my brother who's a CPA and gone through it like you cannot in a lot of those differentiate between what the men and the women have earned so i don't know why if that's us soccer trying to hide that or what but i mean if, if there's a substantive difference in what the the revenue between the men's and the and the women's team make how, how does that hold up in court so I think that the revenue part, I, I had listened to you guys earlier, we were talking about sponsorships and marketing. Right. Um, you you have in these filings, you have U.S. soccer admitting that they don't have a system or they have not been tracking uh, what sponsorship opportunities and marketing opportunities come in for the men versus the women. So when you're talking about comparing them, I agree with everything that you guys were saying earlier. It's really difficult to. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of instances where if you look practically, people are coming in because of the U.S. women's national team, right? You look at their success and you look at the brand, the players that they have on the team with their skill and their personal brands. That's what people want to be a part of, because for better or for worse, you know, you put a story out about Meg Rapino on the web and you are getting comment after comment after comment, page view after page view after page view, because it sells. Um, and so I think from the revenue point of view, in terms of comparing them, it's very difficult. Um, and that is the issue with this case, is that it is very hard to, to compare the numbers of the men's versus the women. But... The player's argument is that it's the rate of pay, right? So if you compare the rate of pay under the men's CBA and the women's CBA, um, that the women are innately paid at a lower rate. Um, and that is essentially legally the argument. And that's what the Equal Pay Act says. That's how it compares it. And what about, is there a way to prove, uh, again, in a legal sense, uh, or even with numbers that there's discrimination based on a lack of marketing? I mean, can you prove a negative in that way or that there's a lack of merchandise available and that women's revenue has been suppressed? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an argument. I don't think it's, uh, I think it's very hard to actually quantify um, right. numbers wise and show, you know, you'd have to get testimony from somebody somewhere saying, well, you know, we didn't pursue this or we didn't go after this opportunity because, 
you know, nobody on their end was pressing it. Um, yeah. That's not going to happen. Um, but it is an argument that can be made. It's definitely hard to back up with with facts and figures. Because I know the um, the players actually negotiated their likeness rights back to themselves in the last yes. CBA because I, apparently the Federation had just flat out told them at the negotiating table that it wasn't worth anything. So they said, fine, give it to us. And right. They've, they've done and that's, pretty why well. you, that's why you see them able to, um, you know, the shirts that came out after mm -hmm. the, the protests, right? They're able to sell those shirts because they don't have the crest on it. Right. Yeah. If they do, then that goes under U.S. soccer. And those are the licensing rights under the U.S. soccer. Um, but, you know, a, a simple, you know, a simple shape with four stars on it. That's it's not U.S. soccer's. Um, right. And that's that's why they were able to do that. So we'll, we, we'll wake up Monday morning. And when we woke up last Monday morning, there had been the letter that U.S. soccer put out Saturday night. But I, I don't think that was nearly as big a deal as the court filings. How is the case different this Monday than it was a week ago? A number of different ways. One, I think the next talks, I think settlement is more likely. Um, and I would not have said that the same thing last week. I think I actually said the opposite in the last podcast that I was on with you guys. Um, I just did not foresee it happening. Even after the letter coming out um, Saturday night, I just thought this, these sides are too far apart and it keeps compounding. Um, after making these arguments, after you're going to have pressure from sponsors, continued pressure, the, the backlash um, publicly, um, and you have someone else, you know, now in charge, essentially, Cindy Cohn. Um, but not that that will, you know, change anything realistically, who knows? Um, but it's, they're in a better position to settle. Um, also, legally and in terms of the coronavirus, courts are having their trials uh, postponed two to three weeks at least. So it could actually, you know, this May 5th trial date as of right now still stands, um, but it could be pushed back uh, even further. Which just organically gives it more time to settle, I guess, because they can mm -hmm. still talk. Exactly. Yeah. The sides can, they can, you know, be talking from now till whenever you can settle up to the very minute before the judge or jury decides at a trial. Now it seems to me, and it's uh, Dan, John and Kelsey trainer giving us uh, the legal take on the uh, equal pay suit after a very wild week in women's soccer and around the world. It seems to me that the players are saying, you know, we want 100 and U.S. soccer started with like 20 and then U.S. soccer moved to like 25 and the players are like, no, we want 100 and U.S. soccer maybe moved to like 40 and the players are like, no, we want 100. And they have publicly, at least they don't seem to have budged at all. Is a settlement going to be at that 100 level or is it will a settlement actually require the players to give a little bit? Because it feels like the sort of case that if you give even a little you're almost admitting that you didn't have the case that you thought you had. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, and that and that's totally accurate. And I think given the uh, the backlash, um, I think that U.S. soccer will have to budge in a very far direction towards that 100, right? In the summary judgment uh, motion that the players made, they're asking for, you know, upwards of 67, $68 million dollars. 
um, all together and, and all different types of damages, back pay and liquidated damages and punitive damages. Um, so that's that's the figure that's out there right now. Um, I really think you get something close to that, maybe 50 million um, and changes. Um, but I, I think at this point, one, U.S. soccer does have to recognize that for better or for worse, whatever they put out there is out there, and they are now in a worse-off position, um, and that plays in favor to the players. Uh, take your lawyer hat off for a minute. As a woman, how did you feel about what happened this week? Oh, I think I felt uh, the same way when you know when Julie Foudy sighed, I think, when reading that <laughs> after that letter from um, – from Carlos, I felt the same way. It w- it's I think it's exhausting to uh, live in a world where you know somebody thinks that that is okay to put that out there. Um, it's demeaning, it's degrading, and you know I can't say that in my field, in the legal field, or in any other area you know that I've been in that you don't get those same things. Um, so it was it's just disappointing to have it to have those sentiments kind of be said by, you know, U.S. soccer and and these people in charge of, you know, it's sport, which is supposed to be kind of this little bit of a safer place. Is this a scenario where U.S. soccer had somewhat of a case based on things we talked about last time, like, you know, the women get guaranteed contracts and with that comes benefits and maternity leave and all that stuff, and the men don't have any of those protections necessarily, where U.S. soccer had some bit of a case, but they just played their cards completely incorrectly? I think so, yeah, right? So for starters, um, they have not withdrawn that part of their brief. So right now that argument still stands. You know, their argument about women not performing equal work, not being equal in speed and strength, and that being fundamental to the job, that still stands. Um, And I think we had talked about before, you know, like you were saying about different uh, benefits under each CBA and the fact that, you know, there is the argument to be made that the union bargained for this, right? It was, it was a bargain and a negotiation. And if you don't like it, better luck next time. And those arguments carried more weight and legally, I think, made it a tricky case. It was not black and white. It was, you couldn't just say equal pay, equal pay, equal pay. I think it made it interesting. Um, I think right now um, it's out there, and I think judging by the judge's uh, opinion in the class certification decision that he made, you know, when he called some of U.S. soccer's arguments absurd, um, I do not think that that's going to that these arguments are going to bode well with him either. Um, but just to clarify, they can withdraw some of the things that everyone was um, so upset about before the trial yeah, begins. Y- you can withdraw uh, part of your brief or an argument or, or move to strike part of your argument. Could, no. could, could, you, uh, could the players bring that up, though? Could they say, I mean, could they introduce that then as evidence in a, in a trial? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would just be, <laughs> okay. it would so just be off the there. record, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, I think at this point, it's probably symbolic, right? So if you're at U.S. soccer and you're saying this isn't what we believe or this is not representative of what we believe, yet it's still on the record as something okay. that you believe. Um, I think it's just a bad look still. Yeah. Um, but like you said, at the end of the day, it's out there. The judge has already, you know, seen it. It's already filed. Um, and he'll obviously see it if they move to strike it or remove it. <laughs> 
And you know, has anybody noticed, though, the change in language? Because I remember when this was first filed and I, I, it was, I think it was Megan Rapinoe and I can't remember who else went on. I think it was the Today Show. And they were talking about that, the nature of the CBAs being different. And, and they were asked point blank if they wanted equal pay or an equal contract. And they said they wanted an equitable deal. And I thought that the language choice was very important because, as we talked about, they do get guaranteed contracts, which, of course, brings in all sorts of other problems for the NWSL. But they get these guaranteed contracts in. So I, I'm just wondering if if they get an opportunity to get a, a, an equal contract with the men without that guarantees. I don't think that they want that. They seemed to be opposed to that when people said, is this what you want? Right. And so this lawsuit does have to deal with their, uh, their CBA, their collective bargaining agreement. And obviously the men, um, you know, will be getting a new one, right. um, af- after this. So, um, that's something that I don't know that we'll, get to and actually figure out you know with this case whether or not it is equal um it more most likely is would be equitable and in a sense like comparable um but we won't know that uh for now and through this all all this team does is win right it's it's unbelievable they there you when you don't ever watch this team and say "Eh, maybe they were a little distracted never right no and that's the that's their argument is like Okay, so what is the what are the fundamental qualities or what are the things fundamental to the job, right? Is it going to work every day? Is it playing soccer? Is it, um, you know, exercising, maintaining shape? Um, you know, let's talk about, you know, intelligence on the field. Let's talk about tact um, and then like maybe add winning to that. And I think something that I found so interesting is that U.S. soccer went in and in their brief, in their response, they argued, they were like, listen, if you take the men's team and you had them operating under the women's CBA, we did this math for you, and the men would have received more comp- compensation under the women's CBA than their own. And my mind was blown because if you think about that, they are essentially arguing that the men could be as unsuccessful as they are. And if they played under the women's CBA, the men would have made more. So they're trying to use the women's CBA to say that it's to say that it's better when it's actually the opposite. It shows that at the end of the day, the men could, if they operated under the women's CBA and actually won and were successful and had anything to show for it, they still would have made more money under the women's CBA. Right, that's so in real. Go ahead. No, I just it was so interesting. It blew my mind. It's like, you know, they made this argument. They thought they were making this great argument, but they didn't twist it on its head and realize that they were proving, uh, you know going against themselves, I guess. All right. I want to follow up on that, but we'll do that in the final segment. That will also include a couple of questions and comments from Twitter, Dan, John, and Kelsey on episode 100 of the Equalizer podcast. Episode 100, segment three of the Equalizer podcast on a week when a large part of our country has come to a halt the nwsl for the moment has canceled all existing preseason games and will not have training at least through march 22nd stay tuned for more details on that 
Right now, it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-growing catalog of women's soccer statistics at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. And with preseason having begun, for a little while anyway, last week, the big magic number is four. That is four players remain from their original NWSL teams. They've been on the same team now for all eight years and have never been allocated. That's Alyssa Motz in Chicago, who's recovering from an injury. Jess Fishlock with the rain, who is recovering from an injury. Lauren Barnes with the rain. And also Tori Huster with the Washington Spirit. So those four, Motz, Fishlock, Barnes, and Huster, never been allocated, never changed NWSL teams, and been here the entire time. And let's hope Sooner than later, they get back at it, and we can head towards an NWSL season. And that's the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check them out at fbref.com. Kelsey, before the break, you were talking about the the math where if you put the men in the women's CBA, they would make a whole lot more money. Is that straight up based on... U.S. soccer, or does that also include things like the Confederations Cup and FIFA bonuses and things of that nature? No, uh, my my recollection, based on the brief um, and the expert report that they provided with it, was that they just took uh, the CBA of the men and the women and excluded that stuff um, and applied it to applied the women's collective bargaining agreement to the men and so put them in the same position if they had the same type of uh contract that the women had that's pretty wild doesn't that open them up to the women then saying well yes but if we played under that contract and won the world cup we'd have blank which would be just dwarf the women's payment yeah, I was actually like, I read through it once and I was, it, I thought that doesn't sound right. Um, they, and I then, mean, who, I mean, these are right. These are, this is at least ostensibly a, like a good law firm that they hired. Right. And I mean, yeah, I don't know. Smart and lawyer is like a tough combination. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think uh. they're advocating for their client. I, I think that sometimes lawyers get into the nitty gritty details and the arguments um, and don't quite understand how it applies or is realized in the real world. Um, and that's an important skill that some slash most lawyers do not have. What blows me away here is that the women, and I don't like the argument that, well, the women should get paid more because they won the World Cup and the U.S. didn't qualify, and the men didn't qualify because that kind of can come back to bite you later on if that scenario flips around. But the women have carried the flag for U.S. soccer now for, you know, the better part of two decades. I know there was a great, you know, the men had a great period in there when they beat Mexico in the round of 16 in the World Cup and all that stuff. But the U.S. is flying the flag for U.S. soccer. I don't understand why, just on basic human grounds, why U.S. soccer doesn't want to champion that more than they do. It just, it baffles me. Quite honestly, I can't figure it out either. I think it's actually bad business, too. Um, it's a yeah, bad t- business totally. model to not do it. And I, I think that's where you have these players and, you know, you have the Julie Foudy's and the Meg Rapinos being like, listen, we do feel like there's been this undertone current of, like, misogyny in the ranks at U.S. soccer. Um, we always kind of felt that. But to 
actually see it written down. Um, it's really the only thing that I can kind of have to explain it because it doesn't make sense. All right, I'm not going to ask you for a trial prediction because I don't think anyone can predict what's going to happen tomorrow with anything right. these days, <laughs> this trial Very or true. otherwise. But a couple of questions. Uh, Nichelle Protho, why doesn't the president of U.S. soccer get paid? Who at U.S. soccer gets paid a living wage? Um, it's a nonprofit, so that's why the president doesn't get paid. I mean, anybody who works there as an employee gets paid a living wage. I don't know about the about the upper echelon there. I don't, John, you're the you've been digging into financials. Do you have any anything else on that? No, I mean, obviously, most of the people get paid. I don't know why the president doesn't get paid, though, because it would seem like you'd have a, a better opportunity, perhaps, of getting a, a better candidate. Uh, Nichelle, again, who do you think should be on the U.S. Board of Directors? Can you name your top 10 candidates? I'll be honest, I have no idea about this. I don't know if either one of you two do. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of really smart people out there who would be really, really good at it. I just don't know any of them. You would think that with the U.S.'s success on the women's side over three decades, that uh, any of them, be, it wouldn't be unreasonable <laughs> to have a fair number of candidates and and a, a good balance between men and women on that board. Absolutely, Diane Hansen. Is there still an ability to negotiate before the trial date? I'm not sure how that works. Explain. I think we covered that, but any Kelsey, any anything else about the negotiating before the trial i mean the, like i think you said they can just keep going up until the time the trial starts yeah they can keep going and you know you can you could have a witness on the stand um and it not go well and want to walk into the room next door with your um you know your opponent and settle right then and there because you know it's not going to go well um so yeah there's plenty of time and right up and during trial you can settle Diane, again, if there was ever a perfect time to do a one nation, one team, one CBA, now is it? Do you think the teams in U.S. soccer would even consider that? Isn't that true equality? I'll let you go here again, Kelsey. Um, I don't know. Uh, contractually, that's the timing is not right. Um, you know, the men have their negotiation coming up. Um, I think that's probably one of the reasons why they have come out in certain times you know advocating for higher pay for yeah. the women because they want higher pay for yeah. themselves based off of that i mean yeah that wasn't altruism right yeah, no kidding. You know, it, was a, it was a nice little kind of mask that covered that statement um but yeah can it happen maybe is right now the time probably not um you, i think given the people in the leadership and and what U.S. soccer has shown right now, I don't know that any of the sides are even considering that because I don't know that people are, like, thinking uh, in any way that's different than kind of the norm. We also don't think the players want to give up the guaranteed money, though, right? I mean, that seemed to be a pretty consistent position from their side a couple of years ago when this was negotiated. Yeah, I mean, unless you kind of have, you know, what, what Fowdy talked about um, at the She Believes Cup in New Jersey, um, you know, kind of one pot right. and have all the money. Sharing. Exactly. Unless you're yeah. doing something like that, you know. Because I, I, we've talked about this a lot just because of the impact on the NWSL. And it, it would be beneficial to the league if they took an equal contract with the men. In other words, you get paid when you get called up and you don't get paid when you're not called up. 
and it would eliminate some of the disruptions to the league. And if there was money left over, the, the Federation could invest that in the league. I mean, there's there's a lot of detriments to the way that this contract structure is set up to the women's professional league in this country. Um, I don't know, Kelsey, if you know the ins and outs of the men's CBA, but if the women had the same CBA as the men, would they get protection for maternity leave? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if the men's CBA, do they have paternity leave in their CBA? I don't know. But I don't know. But that would have yeah. to be, you know, I mean, by just by definition, the women would have to be out longer under those terms, right? Because your body has to right. physically and recover. I, yeah, and I think that you look to, you know, I don't think there's, uh, you look to kind of some of the newer ones, the, the WNBA had their new collective bargaining agreement, um, which is a modern uh, sports contract for women. And I think that there is, there has to be certain differences, like, again, what I talked about legally, um, where the differences are surrounding, you know, women giving birth. You know, that's a phys- physical difference that the law rec- recognizes. We saw some some players step out on that, too. Like um, Sidney LaRue was was pretty vocal in, in supporting that that change. And I think pushing for it in women's soccer as well. Right. And I think you have, you know, the I think we have the resources and the, the training. And, you know, now where you can stay in shape when you're pregnant. I mean, I'm I was amazed. I think I was. A little bit ago, I saw Alex Morgan, you know, kicking and shooting around pregnant. And I was like, you know, I can barely get up the stairs every day, not (laughs) pregnant. (laughs) Um, You know, so there's just there's no reason why these elite athletes cannot be doing things kind of throughout um, to maintain that. But it is a physical difference that, you know, women have to deal with. On the one nation, one team, one CBA thing and the timing. Could it possibly be a strategy of U.S. soccer to make sure that the deals never end close enough to each other to kind of keep that from happening? For sure. I mean, definitely that could be something on their radar. Um, I just think you probably need somebody in there who can look at it all big picture and figure out like, hey, would that actually be a good thing, you know, uh, to do this and to, you know, we wouldn't be opening up ourselves up to any more litigation of this type. You know, if we had this, um, you know, one nation, one team type of system. Any closing thoughts on uh, CBA and WSL? Anything else U.S. soccer related? Uh, No, just stay safe out there, everybody. And, uh, you know, watch all of the great women's sports stories on, uh, you know, on demand that will be out, hopefully. (laughs) Johnny. Closing thoughts as we head into a big unknown time? Yeah, uh, not really. I'm just, uh, I think we're all just kind of wondering what's next and how, if, when life returns to normal. Well, most things have shut down on on some level and uh, we'll do the same on the Equalizer podcast. There won't really be a lot of soccer to talk about. So when there is, we'll be back, but we're not quite sure that will be. But check out our Twitter, check out our Facebook and check us out at equalizersoccer.com. We've got 100 in the books, and hopefully the next 100 will be better than ever. We're just not quite sure when we'll get started on 101. Thanks, Kelsey, for joining. Thanks, John. Um, Everybody out there, stay safe. Uh, This is Dan Lawletta. You've been listening to Episode 100 of the Equalizer Podcast.